0: The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 27, Elysium, Part 2. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to NightOwlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. After hearing an impressive number of first-hand paranormal experiences from the staff at Austin Nightclub Elysium, the team and I will now return with clairvoyant Sarah to see what validation she might make or what new discoveries she might bring to the surface. However, this particular case, I find myself facing a lot of new challenges. Never before have we entered a case with an owner who possesses the same gift as our clairvoyant friend. Going deeper into this case, I'm unable to shake the thought of our friend Sarah picking up entirely different things than owner Sarah Wickham, and what exactly that would mean if that happened. Another obstacle was the undocumented CD history of this property, rumors of a hidden brothel, and the many spirits haunting this space believed to be tied to that secret part of this building's history. Elysium will be the first case in a long time that makes me question myself all over again. If ghosts could possibly be real, or if they're merely figments of our imagination. Stay tuned. If you're new to the show, a quick note. This podcast is best devoured in chronological order, so we highly recommend that you stop here and begin your journey with us on Episode 1, Ink Coffee and Spirits. As you heard in the previous episode, Elysium appeared to be buzzing with paranormal activity. Reports dating back to before it was even the nightclub it is today. Accounts of disembodied voices, phantom touches, objects moving, sightings of figures at the bar. These were just some of the standard everyday experiences had by many. Then there were the experiences that seemed to be more significant. One being the female presence referred to as Emma by owner Sarah Wickham, who primarily haunted the women's restroom in the club. She was said to be physically seen by many eyewitnesses, appeared to be dressed in Victorian clothing, and her common activities were making the paper towel dispenser go off or simply making her presence felt in the stalls or in the bathroom area. Some reports even included people reporting the stalls being locked when there was no locks actually on the stalls themselves. Another prominent spirit felt and seen by many eyewitnesses was the former owner of the Atomic Cafe, Randall. His presence was a comforting one to all those who were fortunate to see him, and he apparently isn't stuck, but merely just pops in to say hi. Owner Sarah Wickham had also made direct contact with a female presence from the 70s, various passerbys, and described in detail a darker, malevolent female presence who attacked former employees that followed a sound of a cat into the hidden storage area, believed to once have been the hidden brothel. However, Sarah Wickham with her gift as a medium, has dealt with many of the negative energies and gotten rid of them, including this very angry female presence from the storage space. With such a wide range of reports, and the fact that owner Sarah Wickham has transitioned many of these energies off to somewhere else, I wasn't sure what would come of bringing our clairvoyant friend Sarah to this building. But we all agreed we had to give it a shot and see what would unfold. So on January 6th, Alexis Tao and I returned to Elysium. While we waited for our friend Sarah to call us when she was parked on 7th Street, owner Sarah Wickham had something new to report.
1: My partner that does the medium business with me was here, I guess it was Thursday or Friday night because her husband's band played. And she said she was talking to a group of friends and she felt someone come up behind her. And it was such a present that she thought it was a living person, like maybe another friend. And when she turned around, no one was there. And she said, I felt this man in spirit up in my space and I had to like kind of push him off of me. Now I worked last night, which was Sunday night and I was at the bar talking to a couple of friends, and I felt someone come up behind me. I just assumed it was another friend because it felt so strong like a living person would feel. And when I turned around, of course, nobody's there, but I could still feel their presence knowing it's spirit. So usually when their presence are that strong, it might be someone newly passed. Janice did not tell me about that experience until I told her about mine last night. And so we're like, oh, we both picked up on the same guy. Now we haven't had a chance to really explore who is this. Are they causing problems? Do they need help? Or whatever. So we haven't done anything about it.
0: It appeared there was a new passerby, according to Wickham. A male presence in the bar area from what I could decipher from this account. But as Wickham finished updating us on this new male presence, our Night out team member Sarah texted us that she was on the street and needed to know where to go. Alexis stepped out to wave Sarah into the building for the first time. We hadn't told her anything, as usual. She didn't know the location or the address, nor did we tell her that the owner of this establishment possessed a psychic ability. When our friend Sarah arrived, we were just going to see where this took us and let her guide us where she was pulled.
2: So the space is different. It's not supposed to look like this. At least that's not what I'm getting. I'm getting a different... um, Like it was smaller, and then they expanded later. So here I'm getting a lot of voices uh, different lots of there are a lot of pastor in here so hang on let me see if I can get rid of some of these other ones that are I'm like I'm not here for you so lots of voices so at night if it's um, or in early morning when it's quiet you will hear like talking you'll hear words and you'll think, oh, did somebody just, you know, talk to me or that kind of stuff, or there's somebody left in the building and it's just the uh, the spirit himself. himself. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Can I... Let me ask a question. Let me see if they'll stand still. Um. I don't think he's a significant spirit, but we'll, we'll work it out. This one's male, older, it's, he's, he's tied to not necessarily the building itself it's like the I don't know what the connection is it's kind of like um, you know like when you're fulfilling like a lifelong dream or like really happy that you're finally like living in it that's kind of the sense I'm getting like I'm getting the oh yeah this is like the best thing ever like kind of feeling um, is what he's given me and he's normally like almost on this side kind of comes and checks on the bar but not as often and not when it's busy Um, But when it's busy, he does kind of like hang out in different corners of the room. So people will see him like kind of like a shadow in the corner or even sitting, like sitting and enjoying. He'll look like he's sitting and enjoying uh, what's going on around him. But there's, you know, that's just how you'll see him. And it'll be like in passing. It'll be like, oh, there's a person sitting there. And then you look back and no, there's (laughs) there's nobody there. But he's mostly um, centered around like almost like this area. Like it's almost like this should be smaller somehow. And he's kind of contained into this space.
0: Right off the bat, Sarah was picking up on this male presence she believed was contained mostly to the main bar and back bar area. What's interesting is that these are locations that tie in with the sightings of a male presence in the building. In some cases, it was patrons or staff that saw a male figure working the bar or sitting at the bar. And other times, others saw a figure at the bar on the surveillance monitors only to find that it wasn't recorded. Also, Wickham had just pointed out that her and her partner had felt a new melt energy hanging out in the bar area as well. I wasn't sure who Sarah was picking up on, but there were some connections here. She also kept repeating another validating fact, that this place had a lot of passerbys.
2: There are so many passerbys. Okay, come on. Who is this lady? I'm getting one woman. She's almost in her 30s. Almost in her 30s. Late 20s, early 30s. She has like a really uh, like a bobbed style haircut and she keeps popping in um, the dress. The dress is very distinct, like a v, low v-neck. Oh, it's it's not a dress. It's a blouse. Okay, cool. Look like a dress, I guess because of the skirt part of it. The skirt's kind of short. She's got like a... All right, we'll save that one for later. We're really not concentrating on her right now. She's really, she's really strong.
0: What do you sense her the most?
2: She's just kind of everywhere, really. Um, but she's very picky about the staff members. She's being very diligent about staff. Like it's just a certain person in particular she keeps kind of messing with. So let's back it up. Let me start with, let me start with you, and you tell me who you are. Can you give me a name? Um, one more time. Like Gabe, perhaps? I don't know if I'm on the right track. He's showing me like cables, like lines, and then the letter G, so I'm assuming it's like gables, gabe. Something like that.
0: Who is that one? The one over there the one you're talking to over there. That's is that a different male spirit?
2: Yeah. That's different and that's actually associated with that side of the room. So I'm gonna go over there. I just wanna get a beat on him.
0: Sarah was referring to the dance floor and DJ booth area of the club, so we made our way over there to address this new male presence she was picking up on.
2: And I'm here. What do you need to show me? That this didn't look like this. Okay. That this was not here, like there's more uh, outdoor space. Weird. Okay. You're showing me something completely different before this was connected. So I'm seeing it like a completely different space, which is really
0: weird, but okay. And which part was outside to you?
2: If I'm looking at the space itself, I feel like outside would have been facing towards the front end, but there's something enclosing it, like a gate or a, I don't know how to explain it. There's a gate you would walk through from the front, and then it should have, it should be like, like this should be open, and then there should be something small here, and then it's more like something really small, like a smaller building, and then it's open. In the, in the back, like a small shack and then it's all just like ground oh, and there's this building, well this part of the building would be like, this should be like a wall, it should be c- closed somehow And have, like, there should be a door or a window or something on this side, so this is Gabe uh, and I might be wrong
0: What time period are you seeing this, this It's G- like G-
2: he's older than they are than those two, than that woman and and this man over here. See what he's wearing? It's just slightly different, but I think it's because of this uh, position. You know, when yeah, the this guy's more like a worker, right? He's got the it's it's like the dirty pants. The you know he's been working, and this one's more like I've owned stuff, but it's almost the same time frame. So mm, like nineteen. What are we? Forties, thirties. Where are we at? Okay. So physically, he looks younger than this man, but. Years wise, Gabe is older by a few years. So this one's like 1930s, 40s, somewhere around there. And this one's a little bit later in the decade, like a little bit later in the decade. Mm-hmm. In the same, within the same decade, maybe. Okay. So they're a little bit, they're closer in age, but still different. And she's much newer. I'm going to pick her by what she's wearing. Look at what she's wearing. It's really cute. Kind of sexy, a little more like. I'm putting her in the 80s, like. Late 70s, early 80s. Look. She's got that black bob haircut. Um, I don't know what this is. Initially, it looked like a choker, but it's not. That's not what it looks like. It's not jewelry because it's not, like, shiny. So I don't know what this is. Maybe a band or a... But it's not jewelry. Like, it's shiny type of material. But she's your biggest culprit of uh, messing with stuff. She's the one that moves things around. She's the one that will, like, if you're doing, you know, cleaning up something or she'll touch you. And she's partially vocal, but the more vocal is the older man, which I'm still trying to get a name from him. He's not giving it to me. But he's the one that talks to you. So if you hear a voice, the majority of the time it's going to be him. It's going to be a male, like almost like a low-tone voice. Uh, But she is your toucher. She's the one that's physically laying hands on stuff, moving things around. Something about her is just a little off. Like It's like she shouldn't be here. I don't know how to explain it. And he's just kind of stuck here, I
0: guess. Gabe is.
2: It's why is he working?
0: What does he look like? Do you see any physical features for the guy we're calling Gabe?
2: I'm seeing just like the like almost like a sh- uh, not a shadow, but like I can see through him. Uh, glimpse like just part of his body. So I know like the bottom part uh, of his body is almost. It's like if it's denim, but it's not uh, like maybe a darker dress pant or something that's been kind of like worn through. And then the top part of his shirt is a a lighter color it's almost like if he might have had a button shirt on top took it off and it's the undershirt that I'm seeing like kind of in between here but then I can't see like his facial features or anything under the lights you would see him he would look like somebody was doubled up so like if Alexis was out here you would see like somebody standing right like just the silhouette of his side like this part of his body that's all you would see under like the lighting. Or if he walks into the room, you're seeing only one side lit up, not the other. Like he's not fully formed. Like where this man's a little, uh, I would peg him like in his late 30s, a little more mature in the way that he holds himself and his stature. Um, He's got like shorter hair, so he's got shorter hair. Um, The shirt he's wearing is almost, like a business-style shirt, so it's got some buttons to it. I can't see the bottom part of his body. But the way he holds himself, it's like, I own this joint, like, check this out, I'm so excited. And the excitement
0: in him of being here is like,
2: yes, it's, this is my dream, this is my, this is what I wanted.
0: The things Sarah were describing here conjured up the idea that this energy could potentially be the previous owner of the Atomic Cafe, Randall. The sense of ownership and pride regarding what Elysium had become, all fit. However, the time period Sarah had described him from and his physical appearance and attire were completely off. They weren't even close to matching Randall, so we just couldn't make the connection here. But Sarah was now pulled back into reading this strong female presence again.
2: And she's a little different. She's a little more darker, a little more um, what she's wearing she's, it's a plunge style type um, dress. And then like, uh, I still think I don't know what that is. Like a choker, I guess, around her neck. And then the skirt is like penciled in but short. Um, and for some reason, she's got this big thing for the staff. Anybody who works here, it's like she's got to assess them. That's, that's all I'm, I'm getting. Besides all the pass, there's okay. a lot of passerbys.
0: A lot. Any other um, places you're drawn to at the moment?
2: Towards the back. Okay. Over here. Um. Huh. So you might have issues in the women's restroom. I just can't tell you who it is because it's not her. She's over there.
0: Here was our one first truly big hit. But what's odd is Sarah actually didn't want to go near the bathroom and felt no desire to pry more with this female presence she was feeling in the women's restroom. Instead, she wanted to focus more on the strong female presence who roamed the entire building the one who seemed to be from a more modern era and dressed in more gothic clothing.
2: Can you, will you give me your name, please? Okay, give me a minute, cause sure. I need to see yeah. why I'm not seeing them fully formed. I am seeing her fully formed, but not the rest. What's blocking me? Is there, like... You're welcome to go that way. Can I go in Just go where the okay. you're drawn. <laughs> I was like, "What's <laughs> in there? Can I go in there?" Yes, ma'am. Okay. There's a lot of, um, like a f- fire, like a something like, oh, something that hit the building like that, like a, a flames or smoke or fear. That's what I'm getting. The highest point of fear is on that side of the room.
0: The back area? Yeah,
2: like all the back. And it's newer. So this is not in late. Like, this is something current. Like, not current, but new, and newer in timeline.
0: Okay. We hadn't heard of a fire yet, but we made note of what Sarah was picking up, and then she was pulled to go further back into Elysium's back office.
2: This is her territory. She likes being back here. Messing with the <laughs>
0: The girl from out there? Yeah.
2: This is all her. I think the electronics are giving her. And really that's why she's so strong and she's newer. So she knows where to power up from, not like the other ones. Yeah, so if she's in here, things are falling off the walls. There's a lot of movement or you'll misplace items quite a bit. You'll put it down, you know you put it there and you come back and it's, it's not there. And then you look for it, come back and it's in exactly the spot you looked at in the first place, that's her. She likes messing with the staff.
0: So far, Sarah's picking up on some general activity, a male presence who will visibly be seen and is apparently more vocal as well. Then there's the female presence she feels is the strongest energy in the building, who seems to roam everywhere in the club, including this back office. Then there's Gabe, the oldest male presence she's sensing around the dance floor area. However, there isn't a lot fitting perfectly into place here. The fact that Sarah is describing this female spirit as a newer energy, someone from a more recent time, doesn't line up with the testimony surrounding Emma, the Victorian-era spirit who haunts the women's restroom area. Also, the description of her wearing dark clothes and having darker attributes doesn't align with the female spirit Wickham described seeing from the 70s era, either. She had light-colored clothing and hair. And as for Gabe, the spirit near the dance floor and DJ booth, nothing has honestly clicked with what Sarah was reporting there, either. But I wanted to let this all unfold naturally, so I just kept following along with the mic to capture it all. And as we sat in the back office, Sarah was getting more on the younger, strong female presence.
2: Like, the hair is what's getting me on her, because it's like a really bobbed... Let's see if I can get a better picture of her. I'm telling you, it's like late 70s, early 80s kind of look. The lace. And the bob. The hair is significant in her name. Or... Or what, Raven? I don't know. Raven. Raven, Raven, Raven. Real name, woman. Come on. She's she says stuff like it's not safe. Um, I don't know. Lots of words about safe. Like it needs to be safe. Um, so she's it's like she's making everything safe. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Lots of safe, lots of safe words Um, Raven, Ray, Ray Come on, you almost did it Um, How about you show me um, Okay, how about yes, no letters How about that? Let's start with uh, How can I get a yes, no out of you? Like this, like this Yeah, yeah uh, Really? Okay Sarah's a tough cookie, huh? Makes sense She got to deal with you every day he on the other hand is a little odd. This is the man that does not want to give me his name and then I'll push, I'll push a little bit. Maybe I can get some of the other spirits to to tell me what it is. But he's mostly in that area where we were at by the women's restroom and all that. That's where he kind of looms around, kind of in corners or where it's a little dark and the light kind of shines on him a little bit. Uh, so he's more, um, I don't know what it is. It's a little creepy. <laughs> but a little creepy but he's older. Uh, but he still has that really weird sense of to him like it's almost like he's just observing everything that's happening. But inside like the feeling of him is like he's very like proud that there's something happening here, that there's when there's people here, he's like, Oh yes, you know that's he feeds off that.
0: I don't know. It's really Is weird. it the one that was at the bar a lot too or is this a different Yeah one?
2: he's at the bar. He's you know, mostly in the back. Between the two spirits, she's kind of taking the rein on moving the objects, doing that kind of stuff. He takes the reins where he's more verbal. So he's the one you're gonna hear um, when it's kind of quieted down. After, like, especially if you've had a really, really big crowd and you guys are closing up and you're trying to do, that's where you're gonna get the most activity off of him. He's going to be talking to you or doing something or you'll hear him um, kind of shuffle around. Like you'll hear the creaks on the floor and you're like, why is anybody in here? Cause there shouldn't be anybody in here, right? And that's him doing that. It's like, he's just kind of making his rounds. And she's more, like, located towards the back with the staff here in the front bar area. She kind of watches things around. It's like she's, like, really on guard all the time. And if somebody gets, I guess, like, hyped up or whatever, she's always the first one to be like, it's okay, everything's fine. Gabe is more like, it's more like an echo. Like, he's just there. He's working a little bit. He's hanging out. Um, he's really getting ready to go. He's not. He's at that stage where he's not going to stay much longer. He's going to go. He kind of has a sense of the change that's going on, and he's ready to move on. Um. So he's. You're not going to see him very often. But if you do, you're only going to see like a side profile of him, like a really quick image, either under a light or uh, you'll see him walking. Uh, but he actually doesn't even move past the. He doesn't move past the little open windows there. He kind of stays in that in the little dance floor area, in the stage area, that's where you'll see him the most. That's his... It's weird. It's like that's his timeline. And since he sees his timeline changing, he's kind of, like, letting go. Uh, Whereas these two are, are not. They're cemented here.
0: Okay. This was a tough one for me to analyze for now. So far, to be honest, nothing Sarah was picking up was honestly connecting for me. I mean, there was the general stuff, like sightings of a man at the bar and some small accounts of objects moving near the bar area as well that could tie in, but that was stretching it in my opinion. I don't like to make things fit in this show. They either blow me away and are extremely validating, or I just move on. And right now, I was definitely not wanting to linger on these generic connections between reports and what Sarah was picking up. And sadly, Sarah wasn't being pulled to go anywhere else. It seemed like this case might actually be our first dud. But... I did want to push her to explore a little more while we were here. So the first place I took her was the DJ booth, just to see if she could pick up on anything there.
2: Uh, is, see she does, oh she does move around, cool. I didn't think she was going to move past that barrier, but she does move around here. So are you going to give me your name? Should I just call you Raven? Cause that's what I keep getting. She's very dramatic. Okay.
0: What colors are her clothes? It's it's all dark colored clothes Dark, okay
2: Like like It's like black on black
0: Okay
2: I'm gonna go with Raven Because okay. that keeps coming back up But I don't think that's your real name I don't believe you uh, Yeah, this is all Gabe So Gabe's just It's literally just side profile like t-shirt Part of him He Like he's just in It's really weird It's like he knows This is not his face anymore and so he just kind of roams around um, here. But again, if it's her, she's moving stuff, she's dropping stuff, She's most of the activity you're seeing is from her here. And visually, if you see somebody, it's Gabe. Okay, tell me again. No, 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 show me what you showed me right now when I was about to get up. Mess- what kind of a message did you send? Really? That's interesting. Alright, you need to ask somebody who was here before if they ever saw like a message on the, on their laptop or on their computer. She typed out like random wording. What, what, yeah, she's showing me like depression, like she's depressing things. And then it's just Gabe. Okay. Okay, Gabe, I know I get it. I'm sorry. Okay. Huh. Who are you?
0: Just seeing somebody else now?
2: Yeah. He's not talking. Alright, well, we'll give you a minute. It's fine. I'll circle back to you. Don't go anywhere.
0: We continued to explore the space and Sarah was pulled to go and have a seat in Elysium's green room. It's located in the back bar area near the pool tables and men's restroom.
2: A, I love what you've done with the walls. I really like that. Tell me who you are now. Can you tell me who you are now? No, 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 Raven. Out. She goes everywhere. She's, oh my God, this woman is killing me. Why? Why are we not safe? She started freaking out. That's awesome. I pushed her out, but she's not even coming in. She's right at that doorway. She's screaming at me. It's not safe. Raven. Why are we not, why are we not? Okay, well, go inside. We're get, Stay right there where you are then. Just don't say anything so that I can find out who this unsafe person is. She scared him off. And then there's like this incessant Pestil buzzing. I can hear it like they're talking to me, and I can hear like, mm, like and all in the background. It's annoying me. Mm. But I don't see anything that's like, I don't even see them. I'm only hearing them. I am her. How many of you are in here? So, from in this room, it's, I'm not getting images, but I'm hearing um, voices, and the voices are coming from um, that wall over there.
0: What you can't see is that Sarah just made a direct connection to the hidden storage area for the first time. But because of the fact that I am required to not give out any specifics about this hidden space by Elysium owners, I can't play for you the shocking audio of her describing the location of where she's hearing the multiple voices calling her from. The direction she's pointing was a space that she could not know existed, but was in fact the hidden storage area. It was enough for me to say it was time to take Sarah there and see what she could pick up. Yeah, we'll go there. Okay. Does it go that far? Well,
1: I mean, yes.
0: Yeah, okay. Yes,
1: it is all the way to the, to the beginning of
0: it. Okay. Before, yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a little adventure. I'll go first so I can stay ahead of you.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I am closer. Now, I'm not going to move any closer, so you're going to have to come to me. And tell me what that... Oh my god. There are so many. Are you okay? Okay, I just want one at a time. And tell me who initially was talking to me first. Tell me who. This is interesting. Okay. No, what are you referring to? Sleeping, sleeping. So... Like the building was abandoned for a little bit. Or there was another way to get... Is there another way to get through here from the
1: outside? Honestly don't know from the outside.
2: There's got to be. There's got to be a way to get in from the outside. Because I'm feeling like that's how they got in. Like this, like
3: somewhere here. From outside the building?
2: From outside the building. Okay. So now I need to know what happened. So um, let me pick a... Let me pick a person and then I'm going to make them talk to me.
0: Sarah was picking up on two male energies in the storage space. One only in shadow form whom she was calling Heavyfoot because she could hear his heavy steps more than anything. The other presence seemed to be lighter and less aggressive. Heavyfoot at one point tried to call Sarah to a darkened area of the storage space in the direction closer to where we were in the green room when she heard the buzzing. Sarah actually refused to follow him in that direction. I'm not going there.
2: I'm not going to follow you. Um, he's your heavy, uh, so you're Heavyfoot? That's so what I'm going to call him. Because he's right now just a shadow. And you know, Alexis, that weird and ugly buzzing?
4: Uh-huh.
2: It's here. Okay. Like a lot louder.
0: Sarah wanted to leave this area and pursue connecting with the other male presence at this time.
2: So can you tell me who you are? You're not, you're not, yeah, I see you. I don't want to talk to you. That's close enough. Um, kind of scruffy short hair a little disheveled Um, his hair is like really badly cut like he did it himself it's a little bit rounded in the cheeks rounder I know I'm being nice your self-portrait is really cute is that like a I don't know what that is almost like a poncho poncho style type shirt he's newer so he's more what are we looking at maybe you're not an old spirit how long have you been here and then there's other people who are these other people that are with you? Who's that guy? That guy. Because I don't like that guy. So tell me what happened. Sleep. Right outside, like in the front, like somewhere where we were at before. And They were getting in through there. He just liked this place and came back. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know who these other people are, but he, I'm seeing like things that he was d- doing. Okay, so this is what he's telling me. The, the buzzing sounds. Like... They drew him in, like he heard it, like he was looking for a place to stay, him and whoever these other people are. Um, he keeps going between we and I, and the buzzing brought him in. So he's giving me, like, I don't want to hear it. He's giving me the um, that sound, and I don't know what role this heavy foot has to, in all of this. I don't even know if they're on the same plane. I don't think they are.
0: Just then, Sarah got a name from this nicer male presence.
2: Is it Joe? Is it Joe what? Joe... Joe. Not Joseph? Not Joey? Just leaning towards Joseph? Okay. But just Joe. Okay. Cool. He didn't die here, though, which is good.
0: At one point, Heavyfoot seemed to request communication, so Sarah obliged to see what she could get from him.
2: So, okay. So, I'm not going to ignore you now. You can tell me as long as you're not rude, Please. Can I see you a little bit better? All I'm seeing is a shadow. Can you make make yourself clear? No. Is it your spot? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Do you do you have a name? How did you come to be in here? Can you tell me? I see his feet. It's like smoke.
0: Who was that one? Daniel. Okay.
2: I'm glad he gave me a picture
0: of himself. so Heavyfoot now had a name, Daniel. Sarah spent some time alone with him getting more information. and then we all gathered at the front bar to recap everything she could gather from this first visit
2: so there's I mean on initial on initial entrance of the building, there's I mean there are a lot of passerbys here, which it makes sense. There's a lot in in the Austin area in general when you go to any kind of The establishments, especially downtown, there's always a lot of passerby. So I was expecting the traffic. So once the first person to pop up to me is that uh, that man, which I didn't get a name, which is really weird. And most of most of his presence stays like almost in corners. Like I call it a little creepy because you know he's kind of like in little creepy dark areas, kind of checking everything out. Uh, Mostly towards the back of the women's restroom area is kind of like where that's where he kind of hangs out. Um, But if you see him away from there, it'll be like not on nowhere near the dance floor. So it's always where your seating area is at. And it's usually they're standing up against a pillar or in a darker surface where he can comfortably just kind of stand and watch. But if you do see him as a reflection, you'll see him kind of like reflected in light. And it'll be like him sitting at a seat somewhere. Or if you're, you're looking around the crowd, you'll kind of go, oh, who's that person? And all of a sudden you kind of like trail your eyes back and then he's not there anymore, right? So he kind of like tries to blend in with everything. The overall sense of him, like his person, is him being very uh, proud to be here. Like when somebody's like achieved a goal and they're like, yes, look, this is my goal. And, and for me, it's like the goal was to see all these people here. Like a really odd, you know, type uh, feeling. And that's the, his feeling to him. But he didn't really give me too much to work with. Like, he didn't give me a lot of images. He didn't give me a lot of other than more, like, feelings. Um, and that's how he kind of felt. But he is vocal. So he would be the one that, um, if it's kind of quiet, maybe you guys are cleaning up or setting up, um, you'll hear and you'll think, oh, someone's in, the, someone's in here, right? Or, uh, and you'll kind of go look and not find anything. Or you'll hear um, him creak, you know, because the floors creak in certain spaces. Um, You'll hear the floors creak and that's him. He actually, he has feet. So he'll, you'll hear that. Uh, I just wish I I could get a name from him, but I can't. Your raven spirit, your female spirit here is newer. She's not as old as the other two gentlemen that are in the room down here. Um, She is like 80s, like maybe late 70s, early 80s, somewhere around there. Um, especially by the style of dress that she's wearing like I recognize it really well right Mm -hmm. she's very strong so I don't know if it's you know her her age or the fact she knows where to power up from or you know whatever it is she does hang around a lot with the staff so she is more staff conscious I guess Uh, uh, so she will be the one that's doing the moving so she'll move objects she'll um, she touches so she's more hands-on I guess hands-on spirit and so like if in the DJ booth she'll go over there and you know mess with the buttons or just kind of give suggestions on like things that she wants to have done it's really weird it's really interesting I do want to see if anybody's had like a message typed out to them she's showing me that she was depressing the buttons So she's really savvy. So that's really interesting that she can do that. She's even, even in the back uh, office, she's shown that she's moved stuff around or like if you put something down and you know you put it down, like you know exactly that you're very much aware of, I put it right here. Mm -hmm. Then you leave, you come back to get it, it's gone. So you spend time looking for it and all that good stuff. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm gonna give up, you come back and it's exactly where you left it. That's her. She's doing a lot of that movement. And she's everywhere. Apparently, she can go everywhere here except for that room that's next to... I guess I'm going to call it the green room. Yes. Except for the green room. She, for some reason, does not cross that threshold in the green room. And she will not go to your storage space either. She was very uh, nervous when we were in the storage space, so she kind of loomed around for a bit. Um, And I don't know what it is, but in her mind, it's like safety, safety, safety. Everybody has to be safe and she shows me a lot of images of like locks you know keys and locks and she does flit around everywhere and the way she's dressed she would blend in if you were to see her she would blend in with the crowd there wouldn't be like oh that looks awkward she would look like today i think because of the style that she's wearing you would have just thought oh you know it's just you know it's back in fashion right so
1: about how tall is she
2: I would put her height maybe a little shorter than a little shorter than you, okay, just a little bit.
1: In age-wise, do you said
2: she's like in her late twenties, early thirties. I would say late twenties. I'm not leaning towards thirty yet, okay. so like anywhere between twenty-seven and 20, and thirty, right, somewhere in there.
0: Again, there were a few small connections here, but nothing shockingly validating. Wickham chimed in to point out some of these small validations.
1: So we do have glasses and bottles that move sometimes. I don't know about the computer thing. I will ask the staff. Um, I did want to go back to the things moving as well, uh, missing. Um, That happens all the time in the back area, the office area, uh, like the VHS tapes and stuff. They'll sit out movies or whatnot, and they'll come back, and it'll be gone, and they'll go put it back, and then it gets put back when they come back, so that makes sense.
0: Wickham was now going to bring something into light regarding the young female presence Sarah was referring to as Raven.
1: I, I did know someone who passed away that used to come here, and I believe one of her nicknames was Raven, and also I don't know if it's the same person or not, though. Um, so I have no way of knowing if that's who it is. But when you first started describing her, when we were first doing the walkthrough, I just thought for sure it had to be her.
2: She's got, like, the bobbed haircut, yeah, it's she's black. wigs and stuff um, like that. I don't know what... Like, I keep seeing, like, a like a choker or a... like collar. But it's, yeah, something that's not... It's yeah. not jewelry, but what she's wearing could go from any era. It could be m- me just validating something that I know because I'm like, oh, yeah, in the 80s we used to wear that. That's oh, my yeah. brain putting no, it in there. people
5: still like that. Too, yeah, exactly. So. so I don't yeah. know
2: if she's
1: time-driven
0: that way. They I'm, have an 80s night here, and they've had it for how long?
1: Uh, oh, wow, it really was 80s side. night before we even owned it. So since 19... 19- Ninety-three
0: yeah. or four. So there could be a lot of times she's going just based off the look impression. So uh-huh. if she dressed with clothes and attire from the '80s or late '70s, yeah, it could be throwing her off too. Clothing so hard. when when did this person pass away?
1: Um, let me think. It was I would say around 2014 or 15.
0: How old was she?
1: Around that age.
0: And she was uh, a pretty frequent. Patron. Yes.
1: It wouldn't surprise me if she was up in the DJ booth. She did DJ here a few times as well.
0: We couldn't know for certain, but with this new information Wickham was relaying about a former DJ and patron of Elysium, who also went by the name Raven, as well as other nicknames, I started to see a lot of potential connections. Early on during her walkthrough, Sarah actually joked with the spirit, claiming that she didn't believe Raven was her real name. Wickham had just mentioned that this person she knew who recently passed away went by various nicknames, including the name Raven. And there were also connections with the way she dressed, the color of her hair, and age. Another interesting moment was when Sarah joked with Raven again about how Sarah Wickham has to put up with her every day, and that she's one tough cookie. It was a small moment, but I recognized the dialogue as being friendly, playful, and almost as if the spirit knew Wickham more than the average specter haunting this building but I was still unsure why our Sarah would be seeing this spirit, and Wickham wasn't. But it's not uncommon to hear that different people connect differently with spirits in the afterlife. And it may be the same for psychics and mediums as well. It was nonetheless an interesting theory behind who Raven could potentially be, so we just left it at that. Also, early on, Sarah actually hit on something big, but she sort of brushed past it and didn't want to elaborate on it at all. She stopped in front of the women's bathroom, and pointed out that there was another female spirit in there. She commented that you probably have a lot of activity happening in the women's restroom. Well, she was right, but for some reason she didn't want to go in there and engage with that spirit. I now wanted her to come back and tell us more. What else was it that was uh, shown to you over there? Like
2: touching voices, um, weird things like sometimes the like if they're trying to get out and they can't get out.
0: One other tie-in here is the fact that employee Ben mentioned during his interview in part one of this series that women would come out of the bathroom reporting the stalls had locked on them, but he'd inform them that the stalls actually had no way of locking. The locks had been removed. Not sure if this directly related to what Sarah was picking up here, but I wanted to point it out.
1: Um, Or the overall sense, like you're not in there by yourself. So the women's bathroom in that area, um, there's a spirit by the name of Emma. We actually found her at the History Center. Um, She, when it's busy, she'll hang out in the women's bathroom because she's very picky about people. Um, They'll see a woman dressed in Victorian. Um, Sometimes she'll sit off, you know, the towel dispenser or flicker the lights. Um, She definitely lets certain people know that they're not alone. Staff has seen her.
0: I then circled us back around to the topic of the green room and the voices Sarah had heard coming from the then-unknown storage area.
2: Um, In the green room, I didn't see anything. It was more just, uh, they were just talking to me, giving me images. It was just the angle of which the sound was coming from. Because normally when I talk to a spirit, it's like if I'm talking to you, like we're we're in the same space. I'm staring at your face, and this is the way the communication is going back and forth between us. The sound of them or the communication was more coming from the wall itself, and not like when I'm standing next to somebody talking to them, like you know, face to face. It was like a different angle. Once we left and you know made it uh, pass the way into the storage space, then I was able to actually get a visual of different people. So we'll start first with Joe. And so it's he's got a really interesting look to him. He's got, you know, he's got, like, that scruffy-looking... I hate to say it, the scruffy-looking homeless look, right? So he's got, like, his hair's all disheveled, and he's got, you know, the little beard that he hasn't shaved in a while. And then he's wearing a poncho. Um, but he's newer, so he's not, like... You know, he's not, like, a 1970s poncho wearer. No, that's, you know, he's more, more current. And he... Said that what drew him to the building was the sound of, like, buzzing, which is what I was hearing a lot in the green room. I was hearing, like, it was to the point where it was a little distracting, where I'm like, where is that? Where's that coming from? And so that's what drew him to the building, and that's how he got into the storage space. What he was showing me was, like, first he got here, and then he kind of, like, invited other people to to come and stay because I guess that storage space is just so accessible you know you can't get to it an accessible space to be sleeping in if you don't have a place to live right okay. so heavy foot Daniel he's got a and I call him heavyfoot because all I hear is like I can hear his feet when he's uh-huh. everywhere but he has this uh, like really heavy presence to him and he's very claimy of the storage space right he's kind of like hey I was here first and I don't know what's going on with this guy and the buzzy things, but it's me, right? Like, I'm the one who, this is my space. And he's claimed, like, a certain little area of the, of the storage space for himself. And I, mutually, they don't cross into each other's spaces. His reflection of himself was, you know, he's a little scruffy also.
1: How long has the newer one been here?
2: Daniel, i
1: put him probably in the
2: 90s, 2000-ish uh, kind of time frame. And then I put Joe actually a little newer, 2007,
0: 8, somewhere around there. One last thing Sarah picked up on that also wasn't really connecting was the fire. And then the fire. So you saw a fire. So the
2: fire is, like, I see the smoke, I see the fear, right? The, the pushing when you touch the, the building wall.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: I can feel that, like there's a fear of people like, oh my God, like a rush to get out. But all I like see is like I don't see flames. This one's more like I just see like like a cloud of
0: smoke,
2: and then like somebody see, sees it and it's like, oh my god, you know, there's a fire. Like that's what I'm seeing. That kind yeah. of panic.
0: What do you know about the fires? Okay. Not
1: since we have it. Though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How about the previous owner when you the one you knew? No fires. No fires then. So it was Not that I know Prior of, no. to that. So I need it would to, be way, yeah, I have definitely to dig be deep. prior. Okay. I would
1: think it would go way back, honestly. Yeah. Is my feeling.
0: Sarah had not once brought up any of the fancy ladies or the hidden storage area being a brothel. So as I started to bring up this last subject, before I could even say the word brothel, Sarah actually says it over me while I'm talking. Listen carefully. There's an issue that I've been having I've been hitting the walls with the historical research of this place there's a lot of lore around this place and where we went the storage space mm-hmm. but I could not find in documentation other than people just writing in their stories but then that I also
2: or an apartment. Type complex sleeping quarters. That's what I saw
0: there. Okay. So what did you see? Like
2: the way we walked in, it was like there was multiple, like the doors or multiple doors, almost like an apartment type complex. But it wasn't. It was like here, if you do what we want you to do, you get a place to sleep, right? And it was multiple people in one. Like it's not just like an apartment for one person. It was like a multiple. Multiple people were in little spaces all through the through the building.
0: So you are getting that. Okay. Yeah. You know,
2: like when they had the old like boarding uh, type buildings where they would, you know, room and board, they would, you know, you could go work here and then you would room and board you. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that, that sense. Yeah. The interesting thing is like down here, when you come into the, like before you get to the walled space, right? Since it's so separated from the storage, it's like, this is where they would work. They would sleep in the storage area so that way i mean because this was if this was a wall and there was doors there was ways to come in and out of it right that's why i kept asking is there an outside way to get in because it in my head there's an outside way to get in right there's a door on the outside somehow i just don't know how they would access it
0: and it could be that that was that existed maybe in the past and and when you get here obviously when you first got the building The rumors were all there, but did you get any solidifying in your own intuition and your gift? Did you get some validation that that's what that place was, that storage space?
1: Yes. Um, So it was definitely a brothel when it was first built, uh, but it was built at a time where it was illegal to build one outside of Boys Town. So it was like a hush-hush sort of thing for gentlemen that could not be seen on that side of town because of their status. I had a spirit tell me that because I was like, "Well, how is it successful if nobody knew?" <laughs> you know, and, and they told me that. Also, it was a place I cannot remember the proper name for it, but some of the soldiers it was where they would sleep. Is. Like a boarding total, house yes. or a hostel type. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. So it was like in an older time period. The I want to say Civil War soldiers, but I'm not 100% certain. I'd have to go look. Yeah. Uh, also, um, so Beerland is part of this building as well. And yeah. I do know their storage area was once apartments mm-hmm. or a, an apartment. <laughs> and it sort of connects, so, right? Yes, it, it's all one building. And it used to be shotgun buildings. Back in the days when it was first built. interesting.
0: And then so that, so you got validation as a, as a psychic medium from a spirit that it was a brothel. Yes. So that's kind of the only w- like the only kind of validation that we can go with on a psychic sense.
1: Right. I mean, they have it, I think, on the ghost tours and stuff like that. You might ask them where they got their information. Yeah. Um, but I, too, have been to the History Center. I did a lot of research when I started working here. And the History Center's been on fire a couple of times. They've lost a lot of records. So it's super hard to find anything concrete on this building.
0: Our time with Sarah visiting Elysium had come to an end. And although there were some small hits, I wasn't wild by the results of this visit. Not by a long shot. She did pick up on a female haunting the women's bathroom, but the activity details were a bit off. Also... The raven spirit seems to be the most active spirit in the building currently, but there were no previously reported sightings of her, and only a handful of physical objects moving that would coincide with the activity that Sarah was calling out here. It was interesting that Sarah Wickham said that there was a friend of the club who went by the same nickname, Raven, who matched the physical description Sarah was giving as well, but Wickham admitted that she never felt or saw her presence in the club, ever. So this was very confusing to me. And lastly, although Sarah actually pointed out the hidden storage area without us telling her about it, the two spirits she spoke to there appeared to be two homeless men from a more modern time. And it wasn't until we were at the main bar doing the final recap that Sarah admitted that she felt it was once a brothel and boarding house of some sort. She never reported seeing any women, either, other than Raven and the female in the bathroom. Which was so odd to me in a space rumored to have once been a brothel. I didn't know where this case was going and frankly I felt we had our very first flop here. I mean, we've had an amazing run so far on this show, so it really shocked me to have this happen, but I guess this was inevitable. I still don't know what to make of it all, but I was going to head home, listen to the audio and continue my investigation nonetheless. I had my dad working on historical research for the property and I had actually lined up several new interviews with folks who were now coming through admitting They had experiences that they wanted to share about Elysium. After this short break, let's see what new historical data and these phone interviews revealed to me as I wrestle with this uncertain case at Elysium. Stay tuned. Before you skip this announcement, I ask that you stop and listen to this one because I'm going to take a moment to be vulnerable with you all. These are unprecedented, uncertain times and many of us have been affected in ways that we could never have imagined. Here in Austin, with the shelter-in-place order that we are under, a few friends of the show find themselves in dire need of some support. If you are in a position to help, listen closely to learn how you can provide these wonderful businesses and nonprofits that we've featured on our show, so much needed COVID-19 relief. Please check these establishments' websites. The following offerings and promotions are subject to change, as these are mostly only relevant during this time of social distancing and self-quarantine. First and foremost, our one and only sponsor who have been with us from the start, Oboy Print Shop, are one of the many local businesses that were hit hard by these times. But what amazes me about Oboy is how in a time where they need help, they step up and offer help to others. The Oboy team have designed a few shirts with proceeds going directly to the Stand with Austin Fund. Your purchase will not only help Oboy Print Shop during this difficult time, but it will also benefit an incredible local community foundation dedicated to improving the lives of Austinites affected by COVID-19. Go to oboyprintshop.com, click on their shop, and purchase a Stand With Austin shirt to support this cause. You can also support O'Boy directly by purchasing any of their brand tees as well. Also, Buenos Aires Cafe has launched their all-day menu for takeout and delivery service and are giving great discounts. At checkout, you can use these two promo codes, CHIMI10, that's C-H-I-M-I-10, and that'll get you a 10% off discount on any online order. You could also use Friends 15, F-R-I-E-N-D-S 15, and that'll get you 15% off on orders $50 or more. You can also purchase bottles of wine, but that's only available on their delivery service option. Elysium has unfortunately been forced to close its doors and cancel all events through May 1st. They are currently in the planning stages of some fun online activities to help you have fun while still practicing social distancing. I encourage you to like and follow along on the Elysium Nightclub Facebook page and the Elysium Sunday 80s Night Facebook group. You can also support Elysium directly with PayPal at ElysiumAustin.aol.com. At Pioneer Farms, it's not just historic buildings, residents, spirits, and people that tell the tales of the 1800s farm life, it's the animals too. Right now, the donkeys, horses, longhorns, and chickens are in desperate need of your help. A small but substantial donation of $10 can buy 60 pounds of hay. can buy 50 pounds of food pellets, and $25 can help keep their animals fed for almost three whole days. To find out more information on the animals and donate, visit pioneerfarms.org slash animal feed donations. Bali and the incredible staff at Clay Pit are offering their full menu, wine options, and three different meal packages that can feed a family of four and come with naan as well as samosas, chutney, and rice. These will be available for pickup or through your favorite third-party app. Be sure to go to claypit.com and check out these offers. Our amazing friends at Spider House, which is also our home base and shop, had to close its doors for the public for now. However, several of the on-site food trucks there are still offering to-go and delivery options. The food trucks operating there are Always Hungry, Arlo's, Kitchen for the Soul, and Milky Way Shakes. Be sure to check them out and support them during this time as well. Also, our friends at Royal Legion Tattoo have closed their doors through May 1st. If you would like to make an appointment for when they reopen, please send them a direct message via Instagram at Royal Legion Tattoo. If body art isn't your thing, perhaps some art for your walls is more your speed. Artists Ray, Natalie, David, and Heather all have works available for purchase on their individual IG accounts. So let's try to help them out during this time as well. Also, the City Alchemist storefront is temporarily closed, but Alexis and his partner Eric are still providing readings, products, and spiritual work through their site at cityalchemist.co. Lastly, if you'd like to help us, the Night Owl Podcast, keep this show going during this time, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com/patreon.com/slash/the-night-owl-podcast. I'll be sure to post all this information in our newsletter and on our homepage, the thenightowlpodcast.com. I don't know how long this will continue, but I do know it will end. We are going to get through this together with a lot of love and solidarity. Thank you. So Sarah had visited Elysium, and the results weren't as I expected. But I also had to keep in mind that this was an odd case. There were a lot of passerbys reported according to Wickham, and because of her psychic gift, she'd moved a lot of the more prominent energies on already. However, this case wasn't finished yet. I wanted to follow through with two things, historical research and brand new interviews that I had scheduled with people admitting they had other paranormal experiences tied to Elysium. I hoped that historical research might shed some light on some of what Sarah had seen or some of the lore around Elysium, and perhaps some of these new interviews would actually connect with some of Sarah's readings. First, let's take a look at the 180-plus year history of this very property. The corner of East 7th and Red River, where Elysium now stands, was once part of the original 14-block grid surveyed by Edwin Waller for the site of our new state capital in 1839. The original town site ran north to south from 15th Street down to the Colorado River and west to east from West Avenue to East Avenue, which is current day I-35. Elysium sits at what would have been, at the time, the corner of Red River and Bois d'Arc Street. The east to west streets were originally named after trees, and later changed to numbers around 1898, so what was once Bois d'Arc Street is now 7th Street. The Bois d'Arc Tree, for those who don't know, was named by French explorers for wood of the bow, because Native Americans used the springy wood from the tree to make their bows. The original map of the Austin town site shows only a handful of homesteaders inhabiting this eastern edge of town. Prior to 1830, the Comanche and Tonkawa were probably the only humans to frequent this area. Waller Creek, named for Edwin Waller, the first mayor of Austin, runs directly behind Elysium. And at the time, Red River Street was home to numerous wagon yards from the mid-1800s up to the mid-1900s before automobiles appeared on the scene. Perhaps this is because Red River is the only street north of 6th Street and east of Congress that wasn't uphill. According to an article entitled Music Amidst the Furniture, A History of the Red River Strip, in the October 11, 1996 edition of the Austin Chronicle, the land adjacent to Waller Creek was not stabilized in the late 1800s to the early 1900s and was prone to frequent flooding. For this reason, most of the land along Waller Creek was inhabited by Mexican and black laborers. An 1894 Sanborn map of this area actually shows a black settlement right behind this property on the banks of Waller Creek. In 1915, heavy rainfall caused extreme flooding of the creek and ultimately washed away a whole block of houses on East 7th and taking the lives of several citizens in the area. This same article claims this site was used by Custer's troops for a mule barn during the reconstruction period following the Civil War. Our research shows that this property was home to many blacksmith shops in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and it did indeed function as a mule barn in the late 1920s and early 1930s. A Joseph B. Branton operated an auto exchange at this property as early as 1925. Interestingly, he also sold mules, stock cattle, milk cows, hay, and ear corn. And keep in mind, this was a time in our nation's history where we were transitioning from the horse and mule mode of transportation to the use of automobiles, and for a while, both were being used. J.B. Brenton operated business at this location from 1925 until 1940. The 1872 Austin City Directory lists this property to be inhabited by a blacksmith by the name of Jordan Diamond, a 37-year-old African-American. It also lists Gabriel Holder african-american proprietor of a grocery store at this location as well i am assuming that the grocery store was the front with the blacksmith shop being in the back in 1877 harris and sons grocery operated at this address and was run by william harris senior along with his two sons since that time this address has been home to a dressmaker a shoemaker other blacksmiths various secondhand furniture stores and antique and junk shops According to Austin City directories from the late 1800s to the mid-1900s, this address lists many other individuals whose residence was at the rear of this property. An interesting find here, in 1888, Lacey and Emma McKenzie moved to 701 Red River. Lacey died here on the property in 1894, but Emma continued to live here 34 years, until her death in her home in 1922. Emma's husband Lacey was listed in the 1888 federal census as a white male rancher. Emma was listed as his wife and of mixed race. In checking with Sarah Wickham, she agreed this was the Emma she had found in her records as well. Another aspect of this property's incredible history was how this area had been home to a diverse cultural and ethnic population over the past 140 odd years. Just up the street at Red River and 10th, the area was nicknamed Germantown, due to the colony of immigrants who settled here in the mid-1800s. In the 1950s and 60s, the area was dominated by used furniture and junk shops. And during the era of segregation, black-owned businesses were next to white-owned ones on Red River from 6th up to 15th Street. In the 70s, these businesses were replaced with nightclubs and bars, ranging from country music venues to gay bars, hip-hop clubs, rock venues, and ultimately industrial music in the 80s. In an article by Anne Heller entitled Red River Secrets, the author claims, according to her historical research, that Elysium once housed an eight-room brothel. In her article, she describes a hallway lined with eight small rooms. Each room had a number on the door, and some of the rooms had nightstands, old lamps, and lingerie tattered and forgotten. There's also a mural painted on the outside wall of Elysium by artist Tim Kerr, which states that the building was once originally a mule barn and a bordello. However, we have not been able to find any concrete evidence proving that there was in fact a brothel at this location. However, in an article in the May 17, 1957, Austin American statesman, It does mention a burglary at 705 Red River where a burglar climbed into an open window of a room belonging to a Bob Jake to rob him. The article mentions that the burglar was heard by a woman residing in another room. So this indicates that multiple people were boarded at this residence. But to say it was a brothel is anyone's guess still at this point. But we weren't through yet. After going through the far-reaching history of this property and its many inhabitants, I was eager to hear the new stories of many who had stepped forward to recount their paranormal experiences at Elysium. But before jumping into these interviews, I had wanted to speak to one of our friends in the paranormal community, veteran psychic Elena Ireland. She's helped us on some past cases, and I had something bugging me about this case that I just wanted to troubleshoot with her.
6: We are at a particular building downtown it's very old building, but what's going on is it had a sort of very hidden space, like very hidden, massive space that you'd be surprised to find. And there's a lot of rumor and legend around this place. But aside from that, taking Sarah there, she didn't know anything about the place. She didn't know where we're going. She starts to get this incessant buzzing, and it's coming. So you can't see this hidden space, but she's drawn to a room, and then she keeps pointing at the direction of the hidden space and she's like, there's a buzzing coming from there. We ended up telling her, okay, where well, you're pointing to the space that no one knows about and we'll take you there. So we had to kind of covertly go into this hidden space and there she was just overwhelmed with the amount of buzzing. She could not get it out of her ears and we've never, I've never seen her go through that. I've never witnessed it. Alexis was a little confused as well. There was nothing really bad she was not comfortable with it. But she also got from one of the spirits up there that was actually a nice spirit. In death, they actually were. They heard the buzzing and they wanted to come and now they reside in that building. Even though they weren't from that building, spirits are being drawn to the building.
7: That's not unusual. First of all, ha- I have to say, Sarah, pardon my language, is a kick-ass psychic. She is amazing. And for her to have picked up this secret room is just another incident of her, her connection to spirit and her ability to work with spirit and hear spirit. I bet if you took her back there another two or three times, within time, spirit would reveal exactly what that was all about. Sometimes we psychics can't get the whole picture, medium or otherwise, we can't get the whole picture. Number one, we may be afraid of it, or... Our guys may be protecting us from, in this case, that sound. When you were talking about it, I kept getting sick in my stomach like I was going to throw up. The buzz is a safety sound. It's a signal that you're safe here. You can come here. You're safe here. I really encourage you to let Sarah go back there if she is willing because the buzzing sound has an entity of it. It is an entity of its own. It has become an entity of its own over years' time. It was the result of a tool of some sort, but now it has become a thing of its own. Those spirits that have been attached that have become attached to it can leave if and when they are ready, if and when they want to. They're not chained there as I think humans were at one time. I don't know that chained is the right word, but kept there. I don't pick up slavery there, but I, but I pick up tears. The sound, I don't think is anything to be afraid of. I pay attention to, yes. But like I said, if Sarah can address it, and she may already know this, address it as an entity, a, a, a solid entity, maybe ask its name. And it would tell you stories that need to be told.
0: This call with Elaine helped settle my nerves about this case a little. I knew, deep down, that there was more to this story that just hadn't revealed itself to me yet. Something we were missing. And maybe it was the fact that there was more to be discovered in time. I was even more eager now to conduct these new interviews. But before I could make any calls, Sarah Wickham texted me, informing me that she had more information that I needed to hear.
8: So last night I got home and my husband was asking me how it went. So I was telling him about it, telling him about some of the things she picked up on and the spirits and stuff like that, trying to see if I could get any confirmation about maybe some things I'm not aware of. And I asked about the fire. I said, she picked up on the fire. I said, I wasn't really sure of the timeline. Do you know anything about fires? And he said, yes. He said, back in 88 or 89, there was a club called Chain Drive, which is where Sidebar is now. And it had caught on fire. The fire had spread and caught the upper part of our building on fire. Chain Drive completely burned down. And for a long time, it was just ruins. Nobody did anything with it. And I remember when we first got the building, you know because we had access to the back patio. All that was open, Like so it was like a little mini yard, but that burnt building was there. So it was just like a hole, if you LL hole, of a building because yeah. everything inside was just black and burnt to a crisp. Oh, and another thing I found out as well is there were two homeless men that passed away uh, on our steps. Um, One being on one of the sides of the building But there was also another one that was on the front step of the building That also passed away So we have two of them Both older men uh, One was a black man and one was a a white man Yeah, and I think they might have both been ODs
6: That's interesting Yeah, it's weird that there's those those two guys there fighting for their territory, you know? Uh, Yeah,
8: and it kind of sounds like, you know, things that I know, like, the, the homeless, you know community around our area, they kind of have their spots, right? So yeah. they kind of claim those spots on the sidewalks
6: or whatever. They
8: get very territorial about it. So it kind of makes sense, you know, like what are the? what if these are the two homeless guys? or you know?
6: And it could be either in life or in spirit form, they somehow knew about that hidden storage space, you know? Yeah. Um, it could have happened after death and now their spirits are combating for the space to reside in. Or it could be in In life, they both knew of it, that it existed there.
0: So we had two interesting new hits here. Sarah's vision of people running from smoke and a fire could be tied to this fire in the 80s from an adjacent building that used to be an establishment called Chain Drive. Where we were standing when Sarah picked up on the fire was the area that was closest to that former building. But even more interesting was the information regarding the two more recent deaths of homeless men on the outside of Elysium's building. What really connected here for me was the fact that they both admitted to Sarah that they did not die in the building, but outside of it. But they found the storage place in death or knew of it, and were very territorial of it now. Another interesting fact was that they did both die recently, which was what Sarah had read as well. Things were unfolding in an unorthodox way on this case, that's for sure. But I had to keep moving forward, so I scheduled a series of phone calls with fresh voices who had experiences in Elysium. I had no clue what each of their accounts would reveal, or if any of it would connect with Sarah's readings, but I was excited nonetheless to hear their stories. Before we jump into this first story, allow me to backtrack a quick minute here. Beerland was a bar that was right beside Elysium and was actually housed in the overall same structure that is the same building as Elysium. Honestly, I had actually heard of Beerland being haunted long before I had heard about Elysium, but unforeseen circumstances led Beerland to actually close its doors to the public, so I couldn't investigate it. But what I had gathered was that the hidden storage area of Elysium actually connected to Beerland, and employees of both venues knew it. They also swapped ghost stories and often believed that what haunted Elysium might very well be what haunted Beerland as well. But when I heard a former employee of Beerland was waiting for my call, I got excited to see where this might lead me on this investigation.
9: My name is Max, and I worked at Beerland, Texas for 18 years and between Beerland and Elysium, I had several unique experiences that I can't quite explain. When I first began working at Beerland, it was in the capacity of a door guy, so my uh, time spent in the venue was pretty limited, but once I became uh, the booking manager there, I found myself using it as uh, my office as well, which meant that I was there quite often during the day. I think that my first uh, indication that there was something strange going on in the space happened at a point where I just didn't anticipate it. I hadn't been plied with any of the stories that became sort of routine for Elysium at the time, but I was in the space one day booking at at the bar, sitting at the bar with my laptop, looking at the calendar. I, I got up to go to the bathroom, and as I was exiting the men's room, I heard a female voice very plainly say my name, and it was Max, it was very clear. It was so clear that I actually thought it was the owner's wife. I thought that maybe she had come in to drop off a delivery of supplies, so I answered the voice and said, yeah, and came out and stood by the bar, and I didn't hear anything And then again, I heard my name called, this time very loudly, from the women's room, which was down the corridor I had just exited. This was strange because the voice I heard very clearly came from the main bar area. And so not really anticipating anything and still assuming it was the owner's wife, I walked down the corridor into the women's room and found nobody. And then again, I looked in the men's room thinking maybe there was a problem and she was trying to get my attention. But I found nobody. And so I left the corridor and moved back toward the bar area. And again, I heard my name, this time a little more forcefully from the stage area, Max. It just set the hair on the back of my neck up and I left the bar. I didn't come back until there was somebody else in the space. After that, I had various experiences where I would be sitting as the door guy for the evening. The club would be relatively empty at the start of the night before patrons started arriving, and I'd sit with my back to the stage, and I would very routinely feel somebody grab me by the back, or for lack of a better term, uh, my love handle. Um, I would feel it through my jacket, and I would always jump up and swing around, and nobody would be there. And this was so routine that some of the bartenders, when they saw me jump up, they knew exactly what happened. Numerous sound guys, too, have told me Over the years, while they were doing stuff on stage, they would get goosed, they would get grabbed, and uh, I was later told that this might be a mischievous female spirit that's attached to the space. Now, interestingly enough, Beerland and Elysium are conjoined by a hidden storage area, and this hidden storage area has a history of having been, I believe, during the early part of the 1900s, a speakeasy and brothel. Before the current beer land renovations, the bathrooms had stalls, and these stalls were actually the original stalls that were used in the brothels, basically the partitions where the girls would serve as customers. So I'm pretty sure that might have something to do with any sort of residual energy uh, in the space. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a souvenir. My second story that really jarred me, we were finishing on a shift, and I had locked up the uh, double doors that lead into the club and my bartender was by the sinks uh, and she was doing dishes and the sound guy was on the stage rolling cables. I'm standing at the top of the ramp looking down toward the bathroom corridors and I see a young girl in a white dress with long brown hair with kind of a mischievous grin run down the corridor and she runs across where the pool table used to be and she runs behind the bar and into where our storage area was. It was where we kept all the beer. And my natural reaction was, Oh hell no. As the security guy I was like thinking someone had stowed away in the bathrooms, we missed somebody and of course their intention was to spend the night in the club. So I bolted down the ramp and into the storage area, uh the cooler. And there was nobody there. Um, In fact, everybody was kind of rattled by my response because it was so decisive and so deliberate. It wasn't like, did I just see that? It was like me responding to someone doing something very wrong. But I went in there. There was nobody in there. And that's when I kind of got spooked. There's no other way out of the cooler except for the door behind the bar. There's nowhere this person could have gone otherwise, and it is not a big room. It is not full of a lot of debris. It's basically just beer (laughs) stacked in pallets. Other than that, at times when I was cleaning at night, I would hear coughing or voices in the stalls, and then you'd look under the stalls, and no one would be there. But uh, one thing that I would routinely hear from customers, primarily female customers, is that they would encounter somebody or hear something strange in the women's room. I, rem- I remember very clearly the last occasion that this happened, a-, a young lady was in the bathroom and she saw somebody go into one of the stalls. And she came out and she was washing her hands and she heard the person singing. They were singing a, a-, a tune that she thought was very nice and she thought they had a good voice and she, she complimented them and she asked what the song was and apparently <laughs> nobody answered back. She saw this person go into the stall She she like brushed past them. They went they went by her, and when she looked under the door, no one was there. She opened the stall, no one was there, and she left very very quickly. Uh, I can't even count the number of times I I, I would have somebody leave the club in a hurry. Always a female, and say your bathroom is haunted. There have been many experiences, many feelings, but anybody can get spooked in the right spot. But. I've seen things, heard things, been grabbed. It goes beyond mere sensation, but I think the sighting that I, I had was probably the most profound paranormal experience that I had in that space. I think that that space has a lot of history. I know for certain that it was the first building in Austin with actual indoor plumbing, which, which makes it pretty unique. But I, I think the, the sordid history of the speakeasy being, being a safe haven for the sin industry during Prohibition, and then of course you have the the brothel element. Who's to say what terrible things happened to those women? I mean, you know, they were probably not very well respected. I mean, they're they're a tradable commodity at that point. So you know, there were probably some people that were done harm there. But I think there were probably just some very negative people that were at times affiliated with running that space when it was more dubious in nature. I'm pretty sure they're. There were just a lot of really intense moments that transpired. You know, some people believe in residual energy and just playing back like a record player. Some people believe in spirits or entities. I I really can't say what it is there, but what I feel like I encountered there tended to be on the mischievous side. And to me, if it's saying my name, that, that echoes something that's kind of intelligent. To me, that place was a second home. I spent a lot of time there. I slept on the pool table on the stage when I had nowhere else to go at times. You know, when I first moved to Austin, that was, that was my base of operation.
0: I was so thrilled to hear these incredible encounters from Max and his time at Beerland. Much like some of the accounts at Elysium, Max seemed to have some very profound audible and visual experiences. And although he seemed to have encounters with a strong female presence, nothing about her and the activity he reported really connected with the things that Sarah had picked up on. So, I kept hunting. I was on to the next call.
3: Hi, my name is Melanie. Um, I worked door at Elysium for about five years, starting about 10 years ago when I was 19 years old. On the very first night that I worked at Elysium, it was before anyone had really gotten there. It was just kind of me. And I think one other person was there. They were in the office. And I went to the bathroom. As I was kind of leaving the bathroom, out of the corner of my eye, I saw and I I remember her so clearly. It was a woman. She had her arms crossed. She kind of had a like, what are you doing here. look on her face but I couldn't see her eyes her eyes were completely covered with shadow she had curly brown hair that was kind of like pinned up on the top of her head and she was wearing a purple dress it was kind of like you would imagine like 1800s attire and she was just kind of standing there staring at me up against the wall right next to the paper towel dispenser up against the back wall and I saw her out of the corner of my eye just standing there with her arms folded This was my very first night working there. When I turned back around, she was gone. That's the only time I've ever seen an apparition, like a full-body apparition there.
0: I was impressed to hear yet another account of someone physically seeing the woman in the women's restroom at Elysium. However, this was much of the same and, again, didn't tie in with many of Sarah's claims. But Melanie had more to share.
3: But I've had my fair share of other strange
0: experiences.
3: When I was working door, I usually had a roll of duct tape up there with me just for, like, ta- taping up signs or, you know, what have you. But I was looking around. I couldn't find the roll of duct tape that I normally had up there. And I was, like, asking some other people that worked there if they had seen it. No. Um, and then at the end of the night, I'm counting my money in the office just by myself. And on the top shelf, like one of those uh, plastic storage bins, kind of moves a little bit and then out of that storage bin a roll of duct tape lifts up out of it and then falls right next to my foot in the office and it scared me really really bad. I also would hear my name a lot in the office when I'd be counting money. I'd hear
0: Now here was something interesting. I picked up on a lot of potential hits here. Sarah repeated numerous times on our walkthrough that, that back office was very active. She kept saying that Raven liked to mess with the staff a lot back here. One of her common pranks was moving objects where they should be somewhere else. What was troubling me was that Wickham and everyone else I had interviewed before hadn't reported a single thing in this back office. But here, on this call with Melanie, I was hearing for the first time that something actually had been moved or misplaced. In this case, it was duct tape. And while in the back office, it lifted up out of a plastic bin and dropped down off of a shelf, rolling by Melanie's feet. And if you can recall, another major activity that Sarah attributed to this back office and Raven was objects falling. I was also interested in this whispering that Melanie reported hearing, so I asked her for more details.
3: I mean, I would hear other people say that they hear their name and stuff in the office,
6: weird noises back there. The name-calling that you heard Would you attribute it more to being female or male? It sounded like a female. Okay, interesting.
3: I never had any experience that I felt, like, threatened by. It was all very playful. I mean, even the woman staring at me in the bathroom, like, I wasn't threatened by her. She just kind of had, like, a, what are you doing kind of look on her face. I've had, like, other weird experiences places before, but nothing like that. Like, to me, like, it stood out as being very definitive, and I can't deny what I've just experienced. I just think there's, like, a lot of factors at play that have contributed to it being haunted. But I think a big, big thing is that it used to be a brothel, and that just brings a lot of energy to the building. There's no telling what happened
9: there.
0: Melanie's account just opened up a new door for me, and I was really curious what my last phone call was going to reveal. I wasn't sure if it'd be much of the same repeated claims or something entirely new, but I was pleasantly surprised with what unfolded in this new interview with Kay.
5: My name is Kay, and I am a DJ and an event promoter at Elysium in Austin, Texas. I've been going there since about 2007, and sometime around about 2012, I started being a DJ there and hosting events and things like that. Uh, when I was first starting to DJ, I was very nervous all the time and I wanted to do a good job. So I spent a lot of time in the DJ booth, whether I was DJing or not, to observe the other DJs and what they did, and what they did well and, you know, to learn from them. Cause these are obviously a lot of really experienced people in a community that is very close. So I was constantly up in the booth and I am notorious. For losing my phone. It's atrocious. I I do it all the time. And this one night, I was feeling very self-conscious about DJing, and I was just, I felt like I was not doing a good job despite how the floor was going, but I felt clunky. Like, sometimes when you're playing, everything comes very easily, and other times you kind of struggle to find the next right step. I had been also very worried about losing my phone that night because I was expecting an important phone call. So I had put it inside of the pocket of the jacket I was wearing. So it was like on my chest. So I'm just going on and I'm finishing up my set and everything was okay. I go down onto the floor and say hello to some people. And I'm commenting to someone, oh, we should take a picture of this. And I reach and my phone is gone. And this was a pocket that was, like, fit. So it was really in there. And I'm kind of freaking out because, like, I really, I can't lose this right now. We spend all night looking for it, like, another two hours. My husband is there with me, and he decides to use find my phone locator, turns it on. And he's like, well, it's in the bar. It's here. And it says it's in the DJ booth. Are you sure you didn't just put it down and leave it there? And I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And I just assumed that's when it happened. We go back up into the DJ booth. We turn on all the lights. We have all the flashlights. It's not there. We look and we look and we look. Nothing. We're calling it. We're not getting any sound. Nothing. And it the bar is dead silent at this point, And it's just black. With, and we have flooded the booth with lights. And it's just not there. He pings it again. And then he makes it. He does something so that it makes this really loud noise. It's that you can find it when it's lost. And the noise is coming from underneath all of our feet. And what wound up happening was they took out the stairs to the DJ booth itself and had to remove a section of the floor. Because my phone had been very gently placed in the dead center of the floor of the DJ booth underneath everything. So they had to climb in there with tools and everything just mm-hmm. to get it out. There was you no know, dust disturbed around it nothing had been moved it was just neat as a pin right in the middle there's no idea how it got there i just kind of laughed and i was like Ha, good one but i'd always been told that you know the bar was haunted and that there were spirits there it just felt like a mischievous little prank because they played on me going like hey chill out your bnc sense relax and i that's what i, I took as. that was my first experience with some kind of a spirit of elysium
0: So this was another interesting story that I felt had some connections to behaviors of a particular spirit Sarah pointed out on her visit. Raven, again, liked to mess with the staff, play pranks, and, according to Sarah, repeatedly moved or hid items. But what's so fascinating in this story is how unusual this particular case of a missing object was. I mean, it literally was in a place that no physical object could actually get to, under the floor of the DJ booth so much so that they had to pry up planks to get to it. It's easy to dismiss many paranormal claims of misplaced objects found in a new spot as someone just moving it or forgetting where they had left it. But in Kay's experience, this was absolutely not the case. And Kay had more to share with me. Listen to this next story.
5: The second time was actually much more active. I was, uh, it was a couple years later, and I was there on a night when somebody else was, with DJing and I was in the back and I was working on printing tickets for an upcoming show that we had because we would give paper tickets to uh, a local clothing store that would support a lot of the community events and you know some people like to buy paper tickets they have a nice memory so I was in the back getting them formatted and I was having a really really hard time getting the printer to work right nothing was behaving the way it was supposed to and the owner of the business that was Selling the paper tickets was coming to the back room to get them from me, and they were like, "Hey, just want you to know I'm here. Now don't feel particularly stressed about it. I'll, you know, I'm gonna have a drink. I'll I'll be here for a bit." I was like, "Okay, great. I appreciate it." But I'm definitely kind of annoyed that I can't get this to work, and I, I feel like I'm wasting paper, and I'm just very grouchy. And I hear like this kind of weird noise immediately behind me, kind of like a creaking noise, like an old cabinet. And I look behind me, and nothing has moved. Everything is the same as it was. I'm still feeling pretty grouchy. Um, it's still not working. I'm getting progressively more frustrated. And I feel like it's only been like 10 minutes, and the person comes back to the bathroom again, but now they're kind of agitated. And they were like, hey, um, are you going to be done with it soon? And I went, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm having a lot of trouble. With the printer right now, if you prefer, I can bring them to you later. And uh, no, I just, I just really want you to hurry up. I don't understand why it's taking so long. And if you could just, and then all of a sudden, this cupboard flies open and the entire contents of it fall out onto the floor. We're both just staring at it, and she went, "Oh my God!" She immediately left, and I just stopped and sat very still for a minute because I was nowhere near that cabinet she was nowhere near that cabinet and the stuff that was in it was not laying against that cabinet door like nothing in there is usually leaned up it's all kind of like tiled towards the back and none of the other doors had moved and all of the stuff in there was just everywhere like it had been shoved out from the inside and I stood up and I picked everything up I put it back where it came from and I shut the door and I said out loud sorry about that I will try to be done as quickly as possible. I appreciate your patience and I will try to be more calm. And I went back to fussing with the printer and it finally started to work. I was so relieved that it was going to be fine. Um, and as I was printing everything out, the person came back to the back room again. It was like, what the hell was that? And I said, I, I didn't know. And Seemed to happen, but it's done now, so I'm not really worried about it. And she went, "Well, it really freaked me that, the f out, and I just want to get out of here." And I was like, "Well, I'm almost done, and like they're printing, and I'm starting to tear them apart." and She was like, "Look, can, I'm, I'll just do that later. I just want to leave." And another cabinet, not the same one, but the one next to it, first open, and all the stuff was flying onto the floor. And she's like, "That's it, I'm out," and she left. At that point, I kind of started to laugh. <laughs> And I put down the ticket, I got up, I picked up everything, I put it back in the cabinet, I shut the door and I said, I'm sorry that she was feeling very grouchy, it really irritated you a lot. I apologize, I'll be out of here in a second. There is absolutely nothing that should make those cabinet doors fall open. If anything, they're really difficult to get open in the first place because they kind of stick.
0: This, to me, was another interesting story that seemed to connect with Sarah's readings. It's another really unique experience someone had in the back office where, on my previous interviews, I had no testimony or stories about. But Sarah was adamant in repeating to me on her first walkthrough of this building that this back office should have a lot of reports and activity where Raven messes with the staff and there are things that fall off the walls or shelves back here. Kay's experience here also had me thinking about how Sarah described Raven as concerned about the staff's safety and protection. It appeared Kay was upset in this story, and the person who kept coming in wasn't helping her in this situation, only making matters worse. It's just a thought, but perhaps Raven felt Kay's anxieties in this moment and actually did something about it to help her. But this wasn't Kay's last story, either. There was more.
5: We have had... uh... Myself, my husband, my daughter is actually eighteen, and she has been to the bar with us as well uh, because she'll help us do events or do photography. Uh, We will primarily use Messenger to communicate with each other when we're in the bar and we're running a show because it you can't go find somebody, and you know it's better to just have like a group chat where we can just message. And every now and then, we will have weird messages in those that don't really make any sense. Like, I'll be trying to type something, and it'll keep turning into something else that doesn't make any freaking sense. And we're not even talking, like, autocorrect being dumb, bizarre stuff. Like, uh, when we were doing, I uh, I want to say it was a nightmare before Christmas. I was trying to send a message in the group chat to my husband telling him that we were ready for the next performer and to move on. And it kept coming out, like, over and over again whenever I typed it. I don't want to bother. I don't want to bother. And I was like, what is this? Oh, and I am of getting so mad. At, like, I even tried to, like, do a voice thing on it, which I hate doing. Um, but I even tried to do that, and it still kept coming out. I don't want to bother.
0: I'm not sure if you recall, but one thing Sarah kept picking up on her visit was that Raven typed up a message for someone on a computer or device. Sarah kept getting a computer more than anything else, but this story by Kay brought up the thought that this could also be evidence of Raven, her playful nature, and the image that Sarah kept getting of her typing up something that someone would have seen working at the club and DJ booth area one night. Last thing I wanted to ask Kay before we ended our call was if she ever experienced misplaced objects during her time at Elysium.
5: We had an atrocious time trying to keep up with like any of the supplies for decorating. Like our staple guns disappear constantly. And we were in the beginning just blaming each other and like, oh, you put it down somewhere and you can't find it because it's dark and whatever. But they literally just started to just go away. If you put something in that back office, it's good luck on whether or not it was gonna be there when you came back. Like I said before, I've never felt like anything I experienced was anything more than kind of mischievous. I felt the presence there is definitely female. Like, nothing has ever felt mean or aggressive or anything like that.
0: After finishing my interviews, I felt better that we had some validations regarding the new findings Sarah had made at Elysium. With all that I'd gathered, I was about to wrap things up and finalize this final installment on the Elysium case when I got a call from my dad, who'd been doing extensive research for me on this case. He'd spent nearly a month digging up all he could to help me possibly prove the existence of this brothel and its connection to this hidden storage area in Elysium. Well, Dad was just about to reveal something to me that I honestly thought we would never, ever find.
4: Well, I had some free time, so I decided to throw in some some new keywords into the Austin American Statesman archives. And according to an article dated May 20th, 1951... Titled Report on Prostitution, Angers County Officers. I saw a little blurb down there talking about a murder that took place. It says another murder case was growing out of prostitution within the city. It was that of Cesario Espinosa Rodriguez. The District Court records that Rodriguez was given a five year sentence anyway. He killed Ronald G. Edwards outside of a residence at Seventh and Red River, which officers testified was a place of prostitution. And then I went to ancestry and looked up this Ronald G. Edwards death certificate It says right on there that he was murdered and died from a stab wound to the neck by Cesario Rodriguez at 5. AM at 705 red river road. That's a big find. We finally tied prostitution into that address. Well, I saved it from the Austin American Statesman archives. It talks about how prostitution is still prevalent in the city, whether people want to admit it or not. I keep telling you I've never found any proof that there was any prostitution at that address. Well, here it is, finally. But at the bottom of this article on prostitution, it says, Robert Elton Jones found criminally insane after being indicted for pandering, lived at the same Red River residence in 1950. And then it says the house recently burned. So, But you said it burned? That's what it says. The very last sentence of the article in 1950, the house recently burned.
0: So we had another fire on the property. This one in the 50s, and for the first time in our show's history, we had just proven a rumor of a brothel to be positively true in this location. I already knew from the start that this case was so much different than the rest. to the fact that we were coming into a place owned by an experienced medium and psychic, Sarah Wickham. Wickham admitted that many of the spirits that she saw now were passerbys, that they popped in every now and then, and that there were those more malicious energies she was forced to banish from the building. So I knew that our Sarah's readings might reflect something very different than what Wickham and others had reported already, simply because many of those energies were no longer there. And as I said I was finally pleased to have made these small validations in these new interviews But one thing still bothered me. I wondered what it meant that our Sarah saw different spirits than Wickham. How did Sarah see Raven and the two homeless men in the hidden storage area, and Wickham didn't? And on the flip side, how did Wickham see the owner of the Atomic Cafe, Randall, and some other spirits in the building, and Sarah didn't pick up on those? In the world of the paranormal, is it common to have psychics not see the same spirits or energies if they were to walk in the same haunted house? If this is common, is there an answer for this phenomena? Or does one look at this and use it as a weapon to discredit psychic ability? I was left hanging on this thought when I had my final call with Elaine Ireland about this case. I'm
7: going to remind you, because I know you already know this, and I know Sarah knows this, but I'm going to remind you, the owner of the building, the female, works on one level. And I get to say that because she's, she works in the paranormal. Sarah works on one level, I work on another level. There could be 2,000 more entities making a home there and the owner's not going to see them, hear them, smell them because she works on one of probably three familiar levels. And I don't mean levels from one to two to three. I just mean, imagine highways, give them a name or a number. Sarah works on similar ones and different ones. I work on similar ones. And different ones and if you get more than one psychic medium coming up with the same description that's great but if they come up with something totally different that doesn't always mean they're wrong it just means they're working on a different wavelength that's it now once that's happened and that wavelength has been recognized and respected it's kind of like opening the door so another psychic may come in and now pick up those things. If, when and if those entities on a different wavelength feel comfortable, they will continue to show themselves. Not every spirit shows themselves to every psychic or medium. So there will be times when you could take five people really good at their work into a building to do research, and they'll come up with a whole different group of people. My sense about this particular building is that it has a whole lot more than even what the owner has picked up, but over time will when that different level, that different highway, that different door feels comfortable. And that may be why she feels people coming through because they're trusting her and she's helping them. It could be that they've been standing literally in line in a queue for a while, to work with somebody they trust, and then they're gone. She also works with people that just come through. They passed away whenever, and here they go, maybe five minutes ago, and boom. So that particular building, lots more. I hope you go back there a year from now, or whenever you broadcast this, I hope you go back in a year, if the owner will allow you to do that, and see who else has popped up. She who maybe has returned, because she's so welcoming with spirit, some may come back to check on her.
9: Since that space has for so long been a place or a hub of activity for people as a good, it's a place where people go to have a good time. I I can only speculate that that might just be a fond place that certain people might return to if they're allowed to roam once they, you know, shuffle off this mortal coil, I don't
6: know. What it feels like there, the Elysium, it has such a good and welcoming energy that I think spirits kind of come and go. I think some of them have been there a long time, but I think it's a good place, kind of like a a way station, if you want to call it that. They gravitate to the positive energies there that everyone there is accepting and open. And I think they, they sense that and then they come, hang out for a bit and then move along. It's definitely an interesting, interesting place.
5: I'm at the bar by myself a lot because I'll be doing setup or tear down for one of my shows, which are pretty expensive decorations most of the time. And other people have commented to me that when they're there, like, I don't know how you stand just being alone in that big dark place. And I was like, I never really feel like I'm alone. I feel like somebody's there, and I'm not by myself, and I prefer that.
8: The really awesome thing about it is all my years being there, I've never once felt any malevolent spirit or entity. It's always seemed to be something conducive to good nature of the building. That kind of speaks volumes for how long that building has been around. You can be yourself there without any kind of judgment or anything, I and mean, it's just very welcoming. Like- it, it's like a family place. It's just like you're going to, you know, your family's outing at the house or a reunion or something. <laughs> That's what it feels like. You know, even with all our experiences, it's just part of the club. For me, because I know the history, it's kind of neat to be able to visit with some of the past. <laughs> I'm a person who... I appreciate the sciences immensely. And I do know that historically, a lot of things that we consider science now were probably considered paranormal or supernatural back before people could fully understand them. That being said, there's a lot of things I do need proof to accept, but also realize that it is important to entertain such aspects of things that we might not have physical proof of. And the more that we consider those things, the more we can learn about them and answer those questions. As to What might cause these phenomena? Uh, Is it ghosts? Could be. Is it something from another dimension? Could be. You know, we just don't know enough about it. And I'm not one of those people who have pretension to say, oh, it's definitely this or it's definitely that because I will admit, I don't know. I like to think that it's ghosts because that would be a sign of an afterlife or, you know, something hereafter what we do today. And that's comforting in its own sense, I think.
0: Elysium's deeply planted roots date back to a previous club that had a similar culture, the Atomic Café, and it appears the torch that Randall lit many years ago has remained lit, mostly because it has been lifted and carried by Sarah Wickham and her husband John. It's obvious that Elysium is more than just a long-standing Austin nightclub. It's a home, a sanctuary, for all us misfits out there, and we all know now we are welcome anytime In this life, or the next. As of right now, March 30th, 2020, I'm social distancing at home with my wife and dog, Coda, under a state-issued shelter-in-place. But luckily for the show and you listeners out there, the team and I were able to finish another case before all this happened. So seeing as I stay healthy and finances don't put me in a dire situation... Our next investigative series will kick off on April 27th. I'm still not in a great place to continue our campfire episodes at the moment, but I'm gathering more and more each month and hope that soon I'll be able to relaunch those in the future. During this time of isolation and quarantine, I'm striving to try to produce some extra content to release to all my listeners, as well as new exclusive content to our Patreon supporters. If you aren't already please consider becoming a Night Owl patron today and supporting our show for as little as a dollar a month. We could really use the help in a time like this. We had many events in store and some of you have pre-purchased tickets. For those of you who did purchase tickets, we have been emailing you updates and we'll be keeping you informed as to when a future date is determined for those events. Also, don't forget to follow our Instagram and Facebook pages for continual updates during this time. Thank you and stay healthy out there, Night Owls. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Sarah, Alexis, and Tao, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. Jennifer for managing our merch, Patreon, and many other irrational tasks I throw her way. My dad, Sam, for his incredible historical research. Bo for helping produce this busy indie show. My assistant editing team, which include Alex, Alexis, Bo, Jennifer, and Mikey. And thanks to Sean for his help with our story submissions, Alicia for her creative design work and marketing, and lastly, Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. And a very special shout-out to my wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, O'Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of O'Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl Podcast to get $50 off your first order. Thank you all, and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Drift work Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcast or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.